Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. I welcome you to the Arantia Radio Podcast. Before we begin, I want to extend a thank you to the wonderful global community, specifically to Diane Lebrecht and to Joshua Wilson, who coordinated the Jubilee Zoom Conference, the World Conference, to celebrate all of the important events connected to Jesus' final ascension on May 18th, where he assumed the right hand of the Father and became our sovereign master son in our universe. And it would be wonderful one day to have a holiday celebrated by the entire earth of this momentous event and it would be a great holiday and it would be a great tribute to our sovereign son indeed it was a lot of fun i also want to thank those who enjoy and follow these podcasts these the audience uh, of this podcast is clearly growing which means that fellow readers are finding the podcast and that brings me enormous joy it really does i want to also take some time uh, to work on a few things i took some some days off I've been working on my forthcoming book, which I mentioned a few podcasts ago. I've given it a working title. It's called A New Revelation Part 2, Exploring the Arantia Book. I'm making some progress, and I hope to have it done soon. I will keep you posted. Right now, I have about five chapters edited with another 25 to go. So, uh, as the book says, the good book says, progress is slow but sure. And you know what? I might even share some of the essays, because that's what my book really is. It is a collection of essays written by a Urantia book reader that explores the significance of having a revelation of new truth in our time. And I think that you'll enjoy the book, and I'll certainly be talking about it more as we go along. You know, many people on the Jubilee call gave testimony to their own journey with the Urantia book in their lives, and I was particularly inspired by some who have dedicated their entire lives to, to devoted to the spreading of the revelation. There are folks who make Urantia stuff, like t-shirts. I think it's CosmicCreations.com, where you can buy t-shirts. guy made a good point. If you wear a shirt or a hat or something that has the concentric circle, then sometimes you can introduce yourself to other readers you may not know that live in your area. So it's kind of a nice way to connect. And I kind of like that idea, so I wanted to give him a plug. Also, a gentleman many people know, Derek uh, Samaris, working on behalf of UB Network Films, going, doing a great podcasts as well. Just to, I really enjoy his work. I'd like to have him on the show sometime, maybe in the future we can connect. And he spends 100% of his time doing Urantia book work. And so that's great, isn't it? I, I wish I could spend 100% of my time. Uh, it would be really fulfilling, I think. Maybe at some point. Also, the folks at Blog Talk Radio and Cosmic Citizen are doing excellent work. My God, they've been doing this podcast. They were one of the pioneers. 
and they always have interesting guests, interesting topics. It's just a great, great uh, podcast, and I want to share that. And those people are so dedicated. And these were all the people that were on the Zoom conference call uh, a few Sundays ago celebrating the ascension of Michael and the Jubilee of Jubilees. And, you know, all of these people, you and me, we all have our personal journeys with the revelation. Can you imagine how thrilled the Most Highs are that the newest revelation is not only taking root, but settling in? The teachings are making an impact. And all of this without a church, without a formal institution. And it is this fact that is most important because of the reasons I'm about to explain. I fully appreciate and enjoy the fact that the Arantia book community is growing organically. The UB is growing organically, naturally, as it should be. The Arantia book teachings tell us that the right approach to God is to share the entire life experience with him. A good religion is not about form or practice. It is about a living philosophy, a wholeness of approach, where all things become sacred in the life of the believer. This is what I believe distinguishes this book from so many other faiths. We are not slavishly practicing forms of worship. Our entire attitude is worship in living and sharing with that inner spirit that resides in us. And so once the Arantia book starts to represent a community and it starts to become an organization unto itself, that's when we have a problem. That's when we start to go down that road that so many other groups and so many organizations have become just another group or religion where positions are created, committees are formed, and regulations are soon to follow, terms and conditions. How can living truth have terms and conditions? Where in the Arantia book does it say organize and become a religion? It does not. It says the opposite. This book has to grow organically. It should grow in the family. That's the only place this book belongs, in the family. I thought about the study groups we have and why I believe study groups are important for fellowship. I've been to so many of them, and they're always a great experience. I happen to not care if I am in a study group. I have been to so many throughout the years, but it was really never necessary to my growth. I always found much more pleasure reading or listening to the book in my own privacy. I don't know about you. I seem to know that there are a lot of Urantia book readers of this podcast who say they do not go to study groups. And they have their own personal reasons. And they're not necessarily negative, but I think one of the appeals of the Urantia book is that it provides a personal first-hand approach. And it, it enlightens the mind. And it's great to share it with other people. But do we have to always be mindful that we don't want to slip into that point where we start making it uh, non-organic and organizational? I mean, it's fine. We have the foundation, right? The foundation's job is to disseminate the teachings, get the book translated. But then we have other groups like the Fellowship and Urantia International, and they're sponsoring study groups so that people in communities around the world can get and share the book. And there's absolutely... Nothing but good that can come from all of that. But once those groups start to coalesce and start to represent me, then it becomes nothing more than another political organization. So it's very important for us in these beginning stages, I believe, 
to make sure that the Urantia book is a personal revelation. Uh, and that means I need to do a better job at maybe carrying the book around, putting it out for people to see. Because I noticed the other day, looking at it on my bookshelf, that's a damn book. It's book. It's bigger than all my other books. You know, and it's thicker too. And it's it, it draws attention to itself. So I need to have that book around my kitchen table when people come over. Anyway, so my, my point is that the Arantia book provides this, a revelation to causes and purposes. It is not our job to convert people to believing or reading what the book has to say. This podcast, while it might serve as a beacon call for those looking for substantive conversation on truth, meanings, and values in human life, it's not intended to proselytize the Arantia book as some offshoot of the Christian faith or to convince someone the uh, validity of the Arantia book. It has always been and will always strive to be my own experience being shared as a Urantia book reader, trying to get through life just like you, trying to apply the teachings of this book in life to see if they hold up. A value of any belief system is proportional to the truth it contains. Putting it plainly, this podcast is about one Urantia book reader as a human being among fellow human beings who has foreknowledge of the revelation in this first stage of existence. And that makes it interesting to me. So these comments that I make, these verbal essays that I provide, are an open record of one man trying to integrate the Urantia teachings as he goes about living a life in modern times. On a planet, by the way, that is scourged in sin, corrupted by Caligastia, torn asunder by a rebellion that occurred 200,000 years ago, which happened to rip a third of the heavens into pieces. And even today, we humans are bearing the brunt of dealing with the aftermath of what happened when a son of high spiritual order decides to go his own way. And Christ chose this world because if you can follow his life here, then it can work anywhere. And I can dig that. I can know in spirit when my life is complete. I can stand side by side with Christ Michael and he'll look into my eyes and he'll know exactly what it was like. And no one could take that kinship away, not from you and not from me, ever. We are agendanters. The value of the revelation is measured not by how many readers it has or how many study groups are being formed, but rather by the quality of thinking that is improved in this life when one has access to revelation from a higher source. This is, after all, an experiment. As one gentleman recently wrote in the online Urantia book publication, The Journal, the spiritual overseers of our world know full well this is Jesus' planet, and this is an experiment, the one of his former home as a man. So you know that all eyes are on what happens here. No, no doubt they see what we're going through now, and it must be quite concerning to them. But wow, the courage, the sheer courage it takes to live here must be compared to nowhere else. So is it a surprise they gave us a book? They have provided us the information to read firsthand. They gave us a revelation to explain why we're here. The question is, can we handle it? The only measurement of this will now be how receptive people become to its teachings over time. It is very much like the parable of the sower and the vines and which vines proved to be fruitful. So it was important for me to spend a little time assessing where I am with this podcast and the purpose it serves, and it is not about getting you to read the book, but rather about sharing 
what I see in the book and what I like about it as a Urantia book reader in the 21st century trying to stay true to its teachings amidst the noise and haste of modern life. And with that, I want to take a brief moment and talk about the violence in our world and in particular the recent shootings of children because it comes up during these times people asking where is God and why he allows such tragedy. So first I want to tell you that when I watch the nightly news showing the 19 children who died because of a deranged killer, at first as they were showing the pictures and telling the stories of the children, I felt compelled to turn away. The sadness of their loss was just too great to bear. But then I had this notion in my head reminding me of the probationary worlds mentioned in the Arantia book where they say that young children who die prematurely go to, according to the Arantia book, I think it's paper 42, where it, it, it talks of those children who are allowed to make that spirit choice and are given time to live on these worlds, picking up their lives where they left off in the care of cherubim and of angelic teachers and who are also reunited with their surviving fathers and mothers upon resurrection. So that concept gave me intense hope as I was watching what was happening on TV. And I was no longer sad or afraid as I was before when I saw the smiles of those children because I knew they were still there. And I knew that by faith, and that's it, that they were safe. And that gave me, that consoled me. Yeah, it consoled me. And to that end, I want to share with you a passage from page paper three on where it talks about why bad things happen, why life sometimes is rough, and it addresses the age-old question, why does God allow suffering? So let me read from you this, and you tell me if it makes any sense. It comes from the section on the attributes of God. And I read, The uncertainties of life and the vicissitudes of existence do not in any manner contradict the concept of the universal sovereignty of God. All evolutionary creature life is beset by certain inevitabilities. Consider the following. Number one, is courage, strength of character, desirable? Then must man be reared in an environment which necessitates grappling with hardships and reacting to disappointments? Number two, is altruism, service of one's fellows, desirable? Then must life experience provide for encountering situations of social inequality? Number three, is hope, the grandeur of trust, desirable? Then human existence must constantly be confronted with insecurities and recurrent uncertainties. Number four, is faith, the supreme assertion of human thought, desirable? Then must the mind of man find itself in that troublesome predicament where it ever knows less than it can believe. Number five, is the love of truth and the willingness to go wherever it leads desirable? Then must man grow up in a world where error is present and falsehood always possible. Number six, idealism, the approaching concept of the divine, desirable then man must struggle in an environment of relative goodness and beauty surrounding stimulative of the irrepressible reach for better things. Number seven is loyalty, devotion to highest duty, desirable. Then must man carry on amid the possibilities of betrayal and desertion. The valor 
of devotion to duty consists in the implied danger of default. Number eight is unselfishness, the spirit of self-forgetfulness desirable. Then must mortal man live face to face with the incessant clamoring of an escapable self for recognition and honor. Man could not dynamically choose the divine life if there was no self-life to forsake. Man could never lay saving hold on righteousness if there were no potential evil to exalt and differentiate the good by contrast. Is pleasure the satisfaction of happiness desirable? Then must man live in a world where the alternative of pain and the likelihood of suffering are ever-present experiential possibilities. And then it concludes, Throughout the universe, every unit is regarded as part of the whole. Survival of the part is dependent on cooperation with the plan and purpose of the whole. The wholehearted desire and the perfect willingness to do the Father's divine will. The only evolutionary world without error, the possibility of unwise judgment, would be a world without free intelligence. In the Havona universe, there are a billion perfect worlds with their perfect inhabitants. But evolving man must be fallible if he is to be free. And that's from paper 3, section 5, paragraph 5. As a closing thought, being free has a price. Free will has no value if the person isn't free to choose between good and evil. And this is perhaps why God allows bad things to happen. This truth may not satisfy our emotional pain, but when the fog of pain lifts, wisdom will reveal the truth of the fact that the price of freedom also contains within it the potential for error and evil. And such is the human condition on a rebellion strife world. So keep strong, and until next time, thanks for stopping by.